Hey folks, I'm Jason. And I'm Eric. I teach people how to raise livestock on the land. And I teach people the Bible. I play a little banjo. And I play bass. I'm a passionate bow hunter. And I'm a die-hard Badgers fan. Together we're just two common folk trying to pursue Jesus. And live out our faith beyond Sunday's sermon. Well, you spent a little bit of time away. Are you feeling rejuvenated? I am. I am. Well, and technically, it wasn't away. Um, I was at home. I just didn't... Was it a staycation? Yeah, well, and it wasn't even a vacation. It was... Uh, I had a bunch of projects lined up that I wanted to do, and I actually enjoyed it a lot because um, Les had a couple days off with me, so we just got to kind of like have the time to do the things we've wanted to do for a while so it was good and it was I got to be out in the sun like all day I think I got too much sun which in Wisconsin you don't get to say that often um and so it was really good it was I got to flex a totally different muscle so much of my job is decision making and like emotional mental type work and so to be like hey this was a week of just physical work and getting things done it was really nice, and I do feel much more ready to get back to that stuff because those muscles have gotten a break, and my other muscles have gotten tired, so I feel much more balanced and ready to get back to it. Well, good. That that kind of sounds like my kind of staycation. I yeah. Actually, I was texting um, someone who we both know last week, um, asking her if she'd be willing to stay at our farm while we're gone for a week later this summer mm-hmm. when we're up north because we need someone to do our chores for us and stuff. We call it farm sitting. <laughs> and uh, I was like, to be honest, I'm jealous. I'd give anything to stay at my farm for a week by myself. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's I I was telling you earlier, I'm not, I'm not great at vacations because I like relaxing, but I like relaxing at home. If you put me like in a hotel or somewhere, I get really just restless because I don't have my main little hobbies that I like to do that are fun for me. So I tend to get restless. And so, um, yeah, it was it was really good. Um, it was it was cool because even on Sunday, usually by the time I take a vacation, I'm like, I don't want to think about church. I don't want to like even like I'm like, I need a break. And, and this time it was, it was like, I wish I would have been there. It was one of those with, with you preaching and just like with knowing all of the people there, I was kind of like, eh, I feel like I'm missing out, but I know I need to not be there for just my own health long term. Right. But, um, that was a cool thing to be like, yeah, I, I actually kind of still want to go. I think that's a good, that's a good thing. That's good. Yeah. So, and I wanted to listen to your message, but unfortunately we're having some, some tech challenges at our at our church um and so we did not have audio so you're gonna have to give me some highlights of it but i have already heard from multiple people um that it was really really good well that's good to hear yeah um yeah i guess we're kind of having technical difficulties on multiple levels <laughs> we also did not post our last recording i think we both got really busy and it just kind of went to the back burner so yeah um, I guess to make up for that, we have a special treat for the listeners this week and they're going to get two recordings in one week. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, and it's my fault 100% cause 
I don't know if anybody cares of how this goes, but usually the editing is is up to me and the posting is up to you. And so I did not edit it and get it to you. Well, and so I wasn't my, mentioning that to throw you under the bus. No, but. no, I will. I'll take ownership of that. I find the week leading up to vacation is just I uh, I feel so scrambly. So I was very scrambly, yeah. if that's a word. Well, and, and that's what I was telling you before. That's like a very well-known phenomenon that happens with farmers. And it usually doesn't happen until the car is loaded up and you're ready to leave and the kids are in the car and all of a sudden something broke. Yep. <laughs> and I've had it happen multiple times. There was one time we were literally ready to back out of the garage and I could see a rainbow out in the field with from a stream of water jetting into the atmosphere from a broken water line. Yep. Yep. Well, and that's, <laughs> I was telling you earlier, speaking of water, I, I am so sick of unwinding and winding up hoses. Cause oh, yeah. one of our projects was to level our yard and replant grass seed. And this is the driest I've ever seen anything ever. And so I've been watering, like it's my second job and I'm kind of, I told Les this morning I'm buying a different hose today because I'm. This is this is not fun. Yeah. Well, and I know we planted our garden two Saturdays ago now, and I said then that I think this is the driest conditions I've ever planted into, and we haven't had rain since then. It's wild. And uh, we I did mulch straw around everything, so that really helps. But our tomatoes are still suffering from transplant shock like two weeks later yeah it's it's been because this spring we had so much rain it's like it's a good lesson i'm always trying to like take lessons from everything or i or just stow away sermon illustrations like i'm always like hmm this would be a good and i think it's just that balance of this spring we had like two weeks of just rain and it was like flooded and then it's like now we're all dry and it's for me it's that lesson of like Balance is good. I'm kind of an all or nothing person. I tend to, if I start, I'm all in. I don't think of anything else until that's done. And I think it's a good lesson for me of like, there's something to be said about having some balance and doing something a little bit, but also not completely losing track because sometimes it's not the healthiest to have it all come at once. You could definitely go a lot further with that analogy. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I have found very interesting from my perspective in agriculture is we uh, all the farmers started planting what we would refer to as late again this year i mean no one had even started planting by the first of may which is normally the target date for most farmers around here and um we were kept out of the field because it was excessively wet yep and then by the time we started getting ready to plant farmers started tilling all the fields to get them to dry out enough to plant them. And so it's like what kept us out of the field was wet. Yeah. And then we did things to make it dry. Yeah. And now we're begging for the wet to come back. Yeah. And it's like this swinging between the ditch mentality that we have as humans and not taking the clue is right in front of us. Like, why do we keep doing things the way we're doing? Because we're just constantly shooting ourselves in the foot. Yep. Well, and I think it even says like, it speaks to our desire 
as humans to just be in control, in control. of everything of like, well, it's still too wet. So I want to do something to make it drier instead of being like, let's just let it be what it is for right now. And let's see what's going right. to come later. But I just think sometimes it's, uh, you know, leaving well enough alone. I just, one of the projects I did was I made a, uh, a tabletop to go over our patio table. Like I was like, our patio table's kind of just cheap and metal. And I was like, I want to build like a nice wood one to go over it. And so I was using pocket screws to like get the boards. Cause you know, you just, you can't find straight boards. So I was like, I want to, I'm going to straighten them. And it was one of those where I had one where I was really trying to pull the board straight and it was, it was curved. And, and so I had the pocket screw and I was pulling it and it got to the point where it's like, that's pretty good. But I was like, ah, I can pull it a little bit more. And so I just gave the drill that one more and just broke it right there. And it was like, just that lesson of like, Sometimes you just got to let it yeah. be, uh, you know, where it is and not try to be like, no, it's got to be perfect. Enough is enough. Yeah. Be content with what you have. Yeah. Yeah. So added some extra work for myself instead of just letting it, letting it be. Yeah. Well, and so less taking lessons and life lessons, that's actually a big part of what the sermon was about this week. Yeah. Tell me about it. Well, it's a story that has always been on the top of the list for me as favorite Bible stories. Mm -hmm. And it was one that I've always wanted to teach on. And so I took this as the opportunity and I did my best and I think it worked, but, um, you know, you've been spending the past several weeks talking about the Bible and breaking it into pieces. And, and so I kind of had two main objectives to this sermon. One of them was to point out this awesome Bible story that has some life lessons in it itself, but then to also use that story as an example of the fact that there's gems hidden for us in scripture all over the place that we don't find if we don't take the time to dig into scripture. But not only do we not find them, but we may come across them, but totally skim over them or totally miss them if we don't have a good idea of how to read the Bible, um, you know, pull meaning out of it. What I said in the sermon is glean wisdom from it. Um, and so I did talk, you know, I took the opportunity to talk a little bit about some of the details that I laid out in the sermon uh, added clarity to the story that you won't know if you just read. It's only a seven verse story. Um, and I, I pulled that out of my study Bible and it only took a couple minutes. So I talked about how a study Bible is a, a really helpful resource for people. Yeah. Um, and then toward the end of the sermon, I also cross-referenced another story that I happened to think of as I was reading that one. Mm-hmm. And I also talked about how cross-referencing is also another helpful tool for adding clarity and life application to stories. So I feel like the story that I've always wanted to teach on also provided a good opportunity to, the way I described it was to stitch together the patchwork that you've been laying out the past few weeks just about the Bible. Yeah, that's awesome. What was the story? So it was out of 2 Kings, mm-hmm. chapter 6, 
It's the story of Elisha uh, with the axe head that was lost. And um, basically the, uh, so if, and if you're listening and, and you want to find the story for yourself, it's in second Kings chapter six. And it's the first seven verses of that chapter. And what I think is really interesting about it is it's, it's short. Mm-hmm. Um, verse eight has nothing to do with verses one through seven. It's like a total change of subject. So yeah. what, what's interesting about that is you, at first you're like, well, why even include it's it is a very random story it comes out of nowhere it's about an axe head yeah and why include that story like it's so random it almost sticks out yes and so that is a good question that is worth digging into like if it's there why is it there yep and what does it mean absolutely well and i think one of the uh characteristics that is really useful as a Christian that I don't feel like we've honored as the church. And I feel like, in fact, we've, we've really tried to subdue it is curiosity. Like, I wonder why, like, that's almost like a bad thing for a Like if you're, if you're that person that's like, I wonder why it's like, you're almost like scolded for that, where it's like, that is such a useful characteristic when you're reading the Bible to be like, why? why is this story here? What is going on? I remember there was someone when, um, at, at another church that I, I was pastoring at where I was, I was really encouraging people to have daily Bible reading. And someone was like, I just, I, I try so hard to read my Bible, but I always, I always mess up. And I'm like, well, what do you mean by mess up? And they're like, well, I'll read a verse and then I'll see a word and it'll just kind of confuse me and I'll want to know more about it. So then I'll look up where else that word is used and, and try to understand it better. And I'm like, you're, that's literally an amazing Bible reading yeah. time that you're having. And they were like, really? I was like, cause they just thought it was like, I have to get through this much every day. And I'm like, no, you're actually like digging in. Right. And so, yeah. Well, when you, when you say reading the Bible and then having it trigger some sense of wonder and you like, I think that is something that needs to be cultivated, especially the the way I talked about this story in second Kings is it has a couple things stacked against it. It's in the old Testament that already is counted against it because people just kind of without very much understanding, it's very easy to, just mistake the Old Testament as being stuffy and yeah. hard to understand. Yeah. So that is stacked against it. And then the fact that it is in Second Kings, which isn't on the top 10 list of most riveting reads. Right. And the fact that it's just really short. Yep. Uh, so all those things, you could easily be reading the Bible every day and read it and not pick up anything. Yep, just move on to the next thing. Yeah, and, and so... And I've done that and I'm still guilty of that. And so I do think like if we're going to ask for something from God, maybe the first thing is to give me that sense of wonder, you know, illuminate something to me, make something jump out to me to cause me to dig into it more. Because otherwise, and it doesn't just happen with the Bible. You can be reading any novel or biography or anything you're reading and all of a sudden 13 pages later be like wait what did i just read absolutely well and i think so much of it is is just 
having the correct expectation. I know I gave the example when I first introed this idea of, of Bible reading is like, you know, if I just told you, hey, go like dig ditches in your yard because it's good for you. It builds character. Like maybe you will. But if I'm like, hey, I know that there's like millions of dollars of gold hidden in your yard, like go dig and look for it, you are going to attack it in way differently. And I think it even, like for me, it's like as I have dug up stuff in my yard, it's like this past week, if I would have stumbled upon something, I would have just been like, oh, that's a rock and thrown it. But if like I thought there was a chance that, well, maybe there's some historical stuff buried in my yard, if for some reason I knew there might be something there, I'm going to, if I hit something, I'm going to take the time to wash it off. I'm going to look because, hey, you never know. And I just think that like to have that with the reading the Bible is, yeah, you are going to have to like, as you're digging, your shovel's going to hit something hard and it's going to be easy to be like, oh, that's just a rock and throw it. But to have that like, no, I know that there is really good stuff in here. So let me take the time to wash this off and really look at it. And maybe it is just a rock and you move on. Right. But maybe you find some really deep stuff that like, man, if I wouldn't have taken the time to like dust this off and really looked hard at it, I would have completely missed it. Right. And that's really easy to happen in the Old Testament because you sometimes have to read through like chapters of just names. Yes. Or, you know, yeah. and but but, you know, what I wanted people to take out of yesterday and what I have to remind myself often as well is you have to go through that stuff in order to find the gems yes and so that was that was the first big take home of yesterday that's awesome um and then then we took the time to to really like dig into the story and so my objective with that for that was number one i wanted to what is what are some life application lessons from this story? But number two, I want you to see how I'm digging into this. Yes, absolutely. So the way I approach that is we just started picking apart. So there's a central character in the in this story. So who is he? That'd be a good place to start. Yep. So there's Elisha. And I talked about how uh, not confusing Elisha with Elijah, which would expect, I mean, number one, the names sound similar, but number two, they, one preceded the other yeah. and they both had the same role. Yeah. So, and the way it, and my study Bible actually helped me with this as well to learn some of these details that add context to it. But Elijah was beloved Mm-hmm. by the Israelites. He basically led them out of idolatry toward worshiping God. Yep. And in the process, he gained the utmost respect from them, um, and he cared deeply for them, but they grew dependent on him. Their faith depended on him. Yeah. And so as his time, as it was becoming evident to them that his time was nearing its end, they had anxiety over the fact like who's going to be our next leader and what they didn't really realize maybe they knew it was going to be elisha but what they didn't know is how intentional elijah was about preparing elisha so while the israelites are kind of stressing over this you know it's like packers fans stressing over this next unproven young 
who we think has maybe been trained up, but we don't really know. Yep. The Israelites were the same way. Mm. And Elisha came in, ended up proving to be a carbon copy of Elijah, Mm -hmm. and just picked up where he left off and quickly gained the same level of respect from the Israelites. Yeah. But they were still equally as dependent on him. Yeah. And so, like, in this story, they recognize that they needed to um, build bigger facilities for mm-hmm. themselves. And so they they asked Elisha, and he's like, fine, go do it. And they're like, okay, well, will you come with us? <laughs> so they're like very needy children. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, so that's kind of how the story starts. But what I really talked about was start out by figuring out who the central character yeah. is. So we, we did that. And man, it's such a, it is such a good testament to just how much is there. Cause just off of what you said, I feel like I could go in a hundred different directions right. of just being intentional about raising somebody up. Like, yeah. you know, you know, being intentional about that. So you're even proving my point even yeah. more because like that's, I didn't focus on that at all. I know. And that is a whole other sermon. That could come out of this seven verse story. That's every sermon I write. The hardest part is editing. So I write the sermon and then I look back and I'm like, this is way too long. And this is going in a hundred different directions. So I'm like, okay, so where is the actual like path from one to another? And then I just delete everything out. And that's where I get a lot of other sermons. It's like, but I love this part. Okay, we'll make this into another sermon. But that's the beauty of the Bible is there's right. so many, um, just even the idea of, of we as Christians become dependent on leaders, you know, like who, who's your pastor becomes a bigger deal to you or what church you go to. And we can see in the story, the pitfalls of that being dependent on a human leader versus just, Hey, I, I align with God. This happens to be my leader. But if that leader changes, God is still there. So it really doesn't change that much for me, right. you know? So that's me trying to derail your no, whole thing. No, right that, now. that, that works. Um, then we moved on and we talked about the supporting cast, which was the Israelites and, and we're pretty familiar with the Israelites because they're the supporting cast of almost the entire old Testament. Yep. But so we kind of laid out, like, how would we characterize the Israelites? Well, it's kind of like a pro and con list. It's like, well, they are God's chosen people, but they often forget about God. But they're easily led back to God if someone does it for them. And then when they're led back to God, they actually proclaim his name and and do great things. Um, but then they're easily distracted and they, their faith is easily wavered in turmoil. And that's kind of what we see over and over from the Israelites. And I was like, who else does that sound like? Right. Us. Yep. And so I just said, like, it's a good practice, a pretty safe practice. Anytime you read the Israelites in the old Testament, just replace them with your name or us. Yep. Absolutely. I think that's the beauty of the Israelites is as much as we want to poke fun at them, they're us. I mean, that's just the reality of it is we pretty much anything that they struggle with, you can find a time in your life where you were the same as that. And I think that's the beauty of 
the Bible is somehow God was able to take an entire nation and give them to them as an example for us. And I just think that's amazing. And that's another testament why I believe it's divinely inspired because it's just so beautiful the way we can truly learn lessons from an entire nation just as individual people. Right. Yeah. And speaking of divinely inspired, so then we talked about the central object, which Mm -hmm. is the axe or the axe head. Yep. And so while at first it seems unbelievable that an axe head could float, we also know that all scripture is God breathed and all mm-hmm. scripture is true. So we yep. have to believe that that happened. Yep. But what I really wanted us to focus on is not getting, not letting the object cause us to miss the point. Yes. And so what I think is really interesting is the object at for the object seems insignificant um and it's also kind of a useless object when you think about it like what good is an axe head right without an axe handle yeah you really can't do anything with it and um, except for maybe throw it at a rabid woodchuck or something and right. hope you hit him in the head with it but uh, like that's yeah. about it you can't do much yeah and so it's a super interesting uh, object that God picked to to make this example. But then what is interesting is when you look at how the whole thing played out, it's interesting to look at the response of the Israelites and then the response of Elisha. So the Israelites freaked out. They're like, oh my gosh, the, the axe head. And... They, so they, they freaked out. Another interesting thing. Well, so the first thing is they freaked out, which seems irrational because it's like we just said, it's like this, it's an insignificant, useless object by itself. But they freaked out. They acted irrationally. That is a symptom or maybe not a, I think symptom works as well, but it's Mm -hmm. basically an indicator of very shallow faith. Yes. When someone responds irrationally. And and I think if we all think through our story, we can look at things that we've been through that are now in the past that we've come out of that were like, dude, I really acted irrationally in that yes. situation. Like I didn't need to freak out that bad. Yes. Um, so we do that. Yes. And but that's a product of weak faith at the moment. I think it's also a product of because I've noticed this too. I think it's a product of where you are at in relationship to God is um, there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that you would think this is amazing that the Israelites were scared of, you know, where God would speak to them in an actual voice and you would be like, how, what a privilege, how amazing would it be? And they were terrified and they were like, get this away. I do not want this anymore. And I think you see the people like Moses and Abraham who leaned into it. It was because I, I I just think they had a different view of God to where even though God is awesome, and I think we've lost the idea of what awesome is because awesome is scary. Like that's awesome is like, it'll, it'll really like kind of knock your whole sense of the world out of whack. 
And so I just think that the people who lean into God's awesomeness, it, it's not, I think that the biggest difference between the people who lean into it and the people who run away from it is just their, their view of, of God. And I think it's, I think the people who go in already having a sense of fear of who God is and not fear as in scared, but like they already know that God is, is awesome. It's like when God does these awesome things, it's like, it, it doesn't change anything in them. They already knew they, they right. had that respect for God. So they're able to lean into it. But the people who kind of just want God to be a little fairy in their pocket, when, when he does awesome things, they do not like it because that's right. not how they want to view God. And that's always been interesting to me as I read the Old Testament of you see people like Moses and Joshua, they lean into the awesomeness of God. But the Israelites, they never, they struggle right. with the awesomeness of God. They, they don't actually want God to be awesome. And that's really right. interesting to me. Yeah. And, and the other interesting thing to think about their response in this story is they did nothing. They were not moved to do anything about it. They just stood there in dismay, which is another sign of a shallow faith that's dependent on someone else. Yeah. So then, so you have how they responded, but then you look at how Elisha responded. And, and the way I like to think of it is if you look at the text of this story in front of you and you cross out everything except the words, except the quotes of Elijah and highlight those, there's very few words. Yeah. He hardly said anything. So they freaked out. They're panicking. Elisha's like, where'd it go in? And they're like, over there. And he didn't say anything. He goes over and picks up a stick and cuts it and throws it in the water. And then he's like, pick it up. And that's all he said. Mm-hmm. And I just view like this total mic drop moment. Like he probably, after they picked it up, they were standing there astonished and he walked away shaking his head like, Pfft. Yep. Kids. It, well, because what, what do you expect? I mean, I think that's something I say all the time because I, yeah, I'm not big into complaining. I, I, negative people kind of, they tire me out a little yeah. bit. And um, the thing that I say all the time is like, what did you expect? Like, because that is so much of life is like, what did you expect? And I, that's what I feel like Elisha was just like, what did you expect? Did you not think like it was going to be okay? Or did you not think God was, had a plan for this? Like what, what did you expect? And I think that's kind of the, the lack of him over explaining it or whatever is he was just like, yeah, of course, of course, God's going to make this work out, you know? And, and that made me think of a couple other stories in scripture. So it reminded me of Jesus walking up to the crippled man who society was used to just walking by every day and they just expected he's going to be sitting there on his mat again and people didn't even notice him anymore because they were so used to it and then here comes Jesus and he's like oh crippled man sitting here on the mat get up and walk and the guy got up and walked there's like no one thought that could happen no one bothered to encourage him to get up and walk yeah And so Jesus did that, and there was a crowd of people who saw it happen. And it also reminded me of Paul and Silas when they were basically, they were, their 
their um, ministry was growing exponentially. Mm-hmm. And all kinds of things were happening because of that, including society starting to take notice and some people loved it and some people hated it. Yeah. And they wound up in the slammer. Yeah. And what was their response in the slammer but to just sing and pray to yeah. God? And what's really interesting is it says the inmates were listening to them. And what I thought of, and I... I didn't get much of a response. I thought this was kind of funny, but this isn't like a Johnny Cash moment of like singing to the prisoners for for uh, entertainment purposes. Right, like that's right. not what they were doing. That's a great, maybe they just didn't understand it. Or I don't know. I don't know if our congregation laughs that much because I no, had most don't. of my jokes land pretty, pretty, uh, yeah. pretty badly. Yeah. Well, and I usually, my my inflection is the same. You're more deadpan. So the only people who usually get my, like, I think I'm actually kind of a funny guy, yeah. but, but you have to know me kind of well to, yes. to know when I'm being humorous. Yes. But anyway, so they were singing, but it wasn't for entertainment purposes. Right. And all of a sudden there was an earthquake and the jail cell busted open and the jail keeper was going to kill himself because he thought he really screwed up and paul's like no don't do it we're still here and then the jail keeper was like what do i need to do to be saved yeah and paul what what i think is the take-home point and why this is worth cross-referencing is there was a crowd who saw paul and silas act out of faith and not only did the jailkeeper end up being saved, but what did Paul tell him? You'll be saved, you and your entire household. Yeah. There is like a multiplication factor there. Yeah. It's not just, so like when people act out of faith, like Elisha did, it's not just affecting the onlookers. It's yeah. affecting everyone who they interact with as well yes. for generations. Absolutely. And I think one thing that I've been realizing as I've been reading through the life of Jesus is there's kind of two different types of miracles that we see in the Bible. And this goes back to the story of Elisha, I promise. But there's the miracles of like this changes lives. This is someone is healed. Someone's life is changed. And then there's miracles of just signs and wonders of like, this is just to prove to you that I'm real and that I'm powerful. And it's easy to lump them all together, but they they really are, especially when you look at Jesus' ministry, there is like the, I'm healing people. Mm -hmm. And then there's the, I'm proving to you that I'm God and, and that God is powerful. And what I'm realizing as I read through the Bible is that we as people need these signs and wonders, but it is not God's heart. His heart is yeah. that we don't need those. That And even if you look at Jesus' ministry, if he's healing and changing lives, he's usually the one that initiates it. He's all about it. If it's the sign and the wonder, it's like that needs to be begged of him. And even then you can tell he's a little disappointed in it. And he even tells the Pharisees, like, an evil generation needs that stuff. If you go to Thomas, he's like, yeah, you, you believe now that I showed you and proved, but, man, I, my heart is that you don't need this stuff right. to do that. And, and I think even just as, as you talked about the axe head being insignificant, 
it's like, you know, I, I just almost see God having to use the axe head as like a, hey, I've got to prove myself to you once again, but that that is not his heart right. in that. And I just, I think of one of the most powerful stories to me is the disciples in the boat when Jesus calms the storm. Mm -hmm. Because I, I think the thing that's easy to take away from that is Jesus calmed the storm. He's powerful, which is true. That's a, that is a takeaway. But what I always, when I read it, what always hits me so hard is how disappointed he is in them. Mm -hmm. He uses strong language where you're kind of like, ah, Jesus, you're being a jerk mm -hmm. right now. But it just shows the, the big miracle that he wanted there was not the calming of the storm. The, the biggest miracle that he wanted was that the disciples would have faith mm -hmm. in the storm. And so he was frustrated because that was the miracle he wanted. And it's like he was always going to calm this. They were always going to be okay. That was mm -hmm. never the question. And I just, when it, going back to the Israelites, it's like, I just, I, you see in the Old Testament over and over again, it's like they constantly are forgetting and they're constantly needing these signs and wonders. And then as you read the New Testament, and it just goes back to the beauty of reading the whole Bible and cross-referencing you know, Jesus really shows us the heart of God in a very tangible way. And you just see, like, I don't want to do these signs and wonders. You should believe I want to heal people. I want to change lives. But I'm not here to do party tricks so that you guys right. can feel good. Um, but you can see all the way back in the Old Testament of, of things like, you know, an axe head floating are what really get people's attention. And so it's like you can almost see the frustration in God's heart with all yeah. of that. And that's a really good lead into kind of the, the final take home of this. And <clears throat> it is interesting because after the sermon yesterday, I was talking to our friend Denny at church and I know he is a man of God and I know he's read the Bible time, you know, over and over. He was aware of the story, but he was like, you know, all the times I read that story, I never took those points out of it, which is really interesting. And, and I think that that particular story probably is both of what you were just yeah. describing. Um, so it definitely proved a point to the Israelites, but there was a practical component to it as well. And I think that was the last point that I really want people to take out of this. And I said, if there's anything that you sear into your mind from this message, it's the fact that that ax head was seemingly insignificant but it wasn't to God. Yeah. And there are things in our life. And so we tend to give all the attention to like big problems, yep. catastrophic problems, those that really derail someone. And then we treat these mundane, everyday, nitpicky little issues as things that we shouldn't be bothering God with or things that God doesn't really care about or... Um, you know, just things that if, if we do, you know, worry about it or take it to God or something like that, then it, it's a sign of weakness or something like that. But to be honest, those are the things that fly under the radar. Yeah. They're more abundant. They're more frequent. They're constantly hitting us every day. We become numb to it because we're so used to it. And so we almost don't even realize all these little nitpicky things that are constantly hitting us. 
and all of a sudden until it's too late yeah. and then something happens and so I just really think that there is nothing in our life that is insignificant to God and I believe to me anyway that that is, the axe head is a symbol of that yeah I I 100% agree and I I think it's you know because I used to be the same way where I was like I'm really gonna make my mark in this world and really transform who I am with the big things you know I'm gonna take this job I'm gonna move here I'm gonna do that but it's like you really only have a handful of those in your life Mm -hmm. and but it's like it's in the things that seem insignificant that like if you challenge yourself on those things and you take those things serious you know how I talk to my wife when I'm grumpy and how I, you know, how I love somebody when I'm behind and stressed, like how those are the things where it's like, man, you've got like a hundred of those every single day. Mm -hmm. And those just add up to like, it's like, who's going to go farther? Someone who takes 10 huge steps or someone who takes a thousand little ones. It just, those add up over time. Yeah. And, and I think, Maybe it, it would even help if I, I just had two examples pop into my mind. And these are like, I have like a very tight knit inner circle of, of people who I reach out, who are my go-tos if I have things weighing on me, things praying about. And okay, a lot of times the things that I like reach out to these guys and I'm like, Hey, can you just pray over this? Like they're things that you would expect to pray over. Yeah. Um, but then sometimes there's things and, and I can think of two situations where when I texted them to ask for them to pray for it, I almost had to like qualify and be like, I feel really stupid asking. So like one of them is a vehicle and Mm -hmm. I've done that at numerous points in life. Like, Hey Eric, I feel really stupid, but I'm just really stressing out about my truck right now and I don't know where the money's going to come from if it breaks down or whatever. And can you just pray that that thing keeps running? Yeah. Honestly, God cares about that. Yeah. We could probably spend an hour listing a bunch of reasons why he cares. Now, that is not the same as saying, like, can you pray that I, like, fall into an inheritance that allows me to buy a brand new, brand spanking new off-the-lot truck so I can be cool like everyone else? Like, that's different. Oh, 100%. I think it, I think it's Craig Rochelle who says, and I'm sure he wasn't the first one, but if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. That's and, really good. And I think it, I think that's, there's such a connection. Cause like even the example you gave, that's the difference is like, one is like, Hey, I want to be cool. And one is like, I'm anxious. And the Bible has so much to say about anxiety and prayer, like that they are intertwined like those are the two things and I think just being honest about hey like I need you to pray about this but that's something even I've gotten better with with my wife and this is an aside but I feel like at least for me when my wife prays for me it is something different like there is a if she prays for me, stuff changes really fast. And so I don't know if you're married, I just want to throw that out there. Give that a try. Cause for some reason, as dumb as it sounds, she's the one I struggle the most to ask to pray for me. Um, but now I got to remember where I'm going. Oh, just being honest about not just, Hey, can you pray for this? But I think what you added, which was so good is I, here's what I'm anxious about. Right. 
So can you pray for my truck? Here's what I'm anxious about. And to just be honest about the, the anxiety that we're feeling, because really that's the, for me, where, where I've really gotten my anxiety in a better place is when I've just connected. Anxiety is a signal to pray. That's what yeah. it is. Like anxiety is a signal to pray. If I'm feeling anxious, that is my alarm system that I need to pray. And, and I mean, I want to be clear because there's like medically anxious and then there's the anxiety that all of us feel yeah. all the time. And so I'm not here to be like, if you suffer from real medical anxiety that you should just pray. I think you should still pray. But I think for all of us, there's, there's a level of worry about the future that we live with. And to, to truly allow that to just be an alarm system of, oh, that means I need to pray. I think it would change our lives. Well, and, and just one other example, just in case it could be helpful. And I know that this won't be an example that applies to a vast majority of listeners, but they, they're probably all smart enough to figure out what a similar thing yeah. in their life would be. But like, I know there was a time I reached out to one of my friends and just said, this is going to sound weird, but can you just pray that my son has a successful game today? Yeah. Because he's had a string of bad games and I just really see like a broken countenance in, in him. And I just would really like to see something happen to encourage him. Yeah. And that's not the same as saying like, I'm living vicariously through the success of my kids and I'm really pushing for my kid to make it to the major leagues. Like that's not the goal. My goal is for my kid to be health in a healthy place emotionally. And one, I think adding that caveat to your prayers of like, I explain the why number one, it helps you work out what you're actually feeling. But like number two, the number of times where if I just force myself to, say what I'm anxious about as it comes out of my mouth I'm like oh that's ridiculous mm-hmm. and it's like it but it it's a process of letting me let it go because right. I forced myself to like put words to it and the bible is clear like words are powerful like to to get it out of our brain and and into words and and there'll be times where I'll, I'll literally be like hey Les can you can you pray for me because I feel like I'm not I can't get to this phone call that I've been wanting to get to. And I feel like if I can't call them, they're going to get mad. And then they're going to talk to this person. And then everyone's going to leave the church. And as I'm saying it, I'm like, this is the most ridiculous statement I've ever made. But that was just the truth. That's where yeah. my anxiety was coming from. And, and just even saying it out loud, it's like, okay, this is not a worthwhile thing to be worried about. Because this is not a realistic thing but just to force yourself to to say it out loud and it would have been so much easier to be like just pray for me i'm having a bad day but it's like no to truly give voice to here's here's my worry here's my anxiety um that has been just such a breakthrough in my own just mental and emotional health on things um and and it's it's a lot of little things that going back to your point the things we stress about the most are the little things. That's yep. what's so wild is like, I feel like if there was a realistic, you know, if, if there was a realistic possibility that like, whatever, Les, Les and I, we're going to lose our jobs. 
I feel like I'd be like, okay, well that's, we'll, we'll handle it and all that. Like those are not the things that get to me. It's like the little things. Mm -hmm. It's like the, huh, my car made a weird noise. And it's like, that'll keep me up at night. It's like, it's the little mice, you know, they just chew at you. Right. And it's like, those are the things you got to be careful about. And I think it just goes back to your point. And that's a great point about the ax head is those are not the insignificant things. Like we might think they are, but I think God understands that everything is made off of the little things. And God doesn't draw lines and have different categories. And, and so the take home point is nothing is insignificant to God. No trouble of ours is insignificant to God. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. I wish I could have, wish I could have heard it, but I, I'm really kind of just dead now. Well, and I enjoyed it a lot because I think it is, it's just such a testament to how full the Bible is. And if you, if you want to learn, the Bible will teach. Like, I just think that that is something that someone who, who wants to learn and is expecting to get something out of the Bible, I think they will. I really feel like I can say that with confidence. And as I said, for the whole series, like, yes, you're going to have to ask for help. There's going to be some things that you're like, man, I do not get this. I, I, I got to ask somebody and that's fine, but there's going to be a lot that you will get out of it. If you want to learn and you're expecting that there's a lot in there. To for learn. sure. And actually, if I can pull it up real quick, a good way to end would be this quote in my devotion a couple of days ago from Oswald Chambers. You probably could have guessed it was him because that's who it's I It's so always... good. I'm always open to that. But it said, the Bible does not thrill. The Bible nourishes. Give time to the reading of the Bible and the recreating effect is as real as that of fresh air physically. Amen. I love it. I think that's a great way to, to end it. And so you want to close us in prayer? Sure. Lord, we just thank you for everything that we just talked about um, in regards to your word. We thank you just for the gift that the word is. We thank you for the gems that are hidden everywhere. And I just pray that each of us and everyone listening has opportunities to unearth some of the gems that you have hidden and that you'll um, illuminate them for us and just show us uh, what they mean for us and, and that we'll be changed by it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.